They didn't realize we were seeds. They didn't realize you were seeds. They open doors so others can walk through them. Your legacy is every life you have ever touched. I'm Stella Sagliari, and this is Salt the Podcast. Welcome to Salt the Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. My guest today is Hema Al-Yusfi. Hema is a Syrian feminist, human rights defender, and political activist. She holds a bachelor from Aleppo University in biotechnological engineering and a master in risk and security from Durham University in the UK. She's a cat mom of five-year-old Nelson and has been working in the sector of civil society since 2012. In today's episode, we will speak about feminism, activism, books, and the feminist killjoy. But above all, about the Syrian revolution and the importance of personal narratives in times of war. Personal stories that need to be collected in order to protect them from deliberate erasure by the oppressor. Today's podcast is about that, keeping narratives alive. Welcome, Hema. I'm so happy that you're here with us today. Thank you. Thank you, Stella. Likewise, <laughs> I'm really happy being um, with you on this episode. Thank you. So tell us, who are you? Who is Hema? Tell us a few things about yourself. I'm Hema. I'm Syrian. I'm actually an engineer. I studied biotechnology engineering uh, as my bachelor degree. I have a master's degree in um, security and uh, risk and security from the UK, a feminist. And um, also like um, a rebel or an activist. And I love reading. I love singing. And, and I used to sing in a band. Also a cat mom. So I have a, a boy uh, whose name is Nelson and he's five years old. Um, that's it, I think. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And of course, we will find out more about youth throughout the conversation. So... Today, we will talk mostly about feminism and activism. And uh, I thought it's nice if we do it a bit more interactive by using quotes. So I want to read something to you and to the audience before I ask you the next question. What do you hear when you hear the word feminism? It is a word that fills me with hope, with energy. It brings to mind loud acts of refusal and rebellion, as well as the quiet ways we might have of not holding on to things that diminish us. It brings to mind women who have stood up, spoken back, risked lives, homes, relationships, and the struggle for more bearable words. It brings to mind books written, tattered, and worn. Books that gave words to something, a feeling, a sense of an injustice. Books that, in giving us words, gave us the strength to go on. Feminism, how we pick up each other. So much history in a word. So much it too has picked up. This is a quote from Sara Ahmed from her book, Living a Feminist Life. And I want to ask you now, Hema, what do you hear when you hear the word feminism and what does it mean to you? Um, I, I actually love this book. <laughs> and So yeah, do I. Yeah. And um, it's 
it's it's difficult like to um to express what feminism means to me because um somehow it's it's a part of my identity and i didn't recognize this like earlier i mean like only in the last few years i found out that i somehow can't like can't be me without being a feminist so it's um it's a cause it's a movement it's it's a journey and it also means like um this fight that we're doing every day morning and night for um for justice and for for a happy life um i don't know if there is something like a happy life but it's this um this fight that it's continuous and um it's related like for me it's related to every action to every activity to every work that i'm doing but but it, yeah it's it's also a journey for me it's not it didn't started like with um, a package that i got together but step by step so it's a process it's um it's a learning process actually and unlearning process because it's also difficult to unlearn the things that were put in our minds throughout our childhood and adulthood so it's a continuous process of change sara ahmed says also in her book it might be assumed that feminism travels from west to east it might be assumed that feminism is what the west gives to the east the assumption is a traveling assumption one that tells a feminist story in a certain way a story that is much repeated a history of how feminism acquired utility as an imperial gift that is not my story we need to tell other feminist stories and this is one thing that is very close to me that we need mm. to tell other feminist stories and this is what i'm doing also right now in my master thesis actually yeah. as you know so heima where did feminism find you or where did you find feminism and who gave it to you i actually don't know if I found it or it found me um but as I said before um it it was a journey for me I I know that I was very stubborn kid from the very uh, early years that I still remember I am the oldest actually uh, in the family and I always faced these kind of troubles and fights with my family over over very small and normal things and i always was this like rebel girl i mean the stubborn kid who always causes trouble who fought with everyone and this is something that caused me um a lot of i would take pain in my um like um early years uh, but then step by step i understood that um somehow i was fighting for me being treated like the like my brother uh, or asking for my rights expressing myself in in ways that don't fit into the templates that were put for me um but if if i'm talking about the term like like feminism i think it started where i started to to read more about it it wasn't called feminism but like a women movement in syria um when i was in high school there were like um a group of women and um women lawyers 
were like fighting for changing of Syrian laws and for the Syrian women to be able to give the citizenship to their children. So um, I think I found it there. Um, but I at, still at that time, I didn't identify myself as a feminist. So after the revolution started, I would say like my whole political awareness changed and uh, it came to me with with my activism, with the fight, with the revolution, with everything, with the gatherings with other women uh, activists and um, discussing a different uh, topics, asking what do we need as Syrian women like um, active in this revolution. And I really can't remember um, at what stage I identified myself as a feminist, but it, it for, for me right now, it, I understand that I wasn't the same feminist every year. So I was yeah. evolving. I was changing um, maybe every year, um, knowing better, um, also like um, rethinking about like my position again and again. Yes, yes. I mean, I think it goes for all of us. It, that is, a, it is a journey, and I think for the majority of us, it starts in the domestic space. It starts at home, with injustices that maybe we experience at home, or we see happening at home, or in our environment. And of course, the word feminism always comes later. Like, yeah. I, I, yeah, and and it has a lot of layers to it. And I'm always really fascinated by the narratives around it. Like, how did you find feminism? Where did it find you, you know? And there's, of course, like something that I'm, I want to kind of um, fight against, amongst other things, is this idea of feminism comes from the global north, you know, comes from the west, comes from white women. And women from the global south, they don't know what it is or they don't have feminists. They can't be feminists. And this is something that, that's why I also read out this quote by, by Sarah Ahmed. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, yeah, I find really really important. For myself, I found feminism th- from women, p- women of color, uh, yeah. women from the global south, and I actually at first was despised by feminism. I hated it because I thought it was something very elitist, something very white, something very privileged, and I thought it was represented by women that would look down on my mother, you know, because. She was uh, for many years a housewife and then later on she started working and she was doing both jobs, let's say. But then later, I I always say like feminism was tiptoeing a side of me, you know, not giving up on me, insisting you are feminist. I'm here, but you still know. And um, I remember when we first met and also when I looked at your Instagram, you have it there as well, that you are a feminist killjoy. And I think that's another thing that, you know, when you say to people, I'm a feminist, they're like, oh, my God, now I cannot speak. I cannot say anything because she's in the room. She will point out everything. Is these annoying women? They don't understand humor, blah, 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 blah. So can we talk about the killjoy? Yeah, <laughs> um, it's actually it's actually funny because you can also be um, a sarcastic killjoy and um, like, you know, you can just like make these comments that are really funny, but to to like, you know, make your statement there. So it's not like I don't laugh or I don't enjoy myself or I don't um, um, be happy and joyful in gatherings. Um, but yeah, I can't stand um, any comment or like offend uh, any uh, any offense 
to to women or to other like people of color or anything so and it's not it's not something easy it's really hard and uh, i also questioned myself many times um why i'm doing this it's easier if i just like ignore them um try like to not listen to what what they are talking about not make um a fuss in every meeting for example it's not only like a friendly meeting it's also like work meetings or when we are discussing a paper or an article or whatever so i'm this one like yeah you need to the language need to be gendered the whatever need to where are women in the in the panel so i it's it's difficult but i also can't can't stay calm about it or not do it and i also feel that sometimes it's hard for other people like the people who are with me in the room yes i mean i guess we've all experienced this and um i also had a conversation the other day with the, with a man um and i was being the killjoy let's say in that moment but towards the end i asked him i mean it was it was more about women in, in that case but you also mentioned it before feminism is also about marginalized groups it's not just about women and uh, i said to him in the end i need you to be my ally i need you when i'm not in the room and your friend makes a stupid joke to be the guy who speaks up you know i need you to be the guy when it's in the middle of the night and a woman is walking by herself in the street that you cross the road and you don't walk behind her because she might feel threatened that you cross the road to the other side not to make her feel scared you know so when i talked to him like this he really listened you know when i said this like be my ally be there for me when i'm not there and listen to what i have to tell you and just believe what i have to say you know and um yeah that was really nice because usually you have these back and forth and then it gets personal and so on and so forth so uh, i had a really nice bonding moment let's say where i felt like okay and that being the killjoy here was was a success or something like this yeah 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 i i totally understand i mean like i consider myself lucky because at some point like i had like these friends uh who are allies i have uh, a partner who is an ally i think something that is also important to emphasize it's also highly political at least to me feminism to me is political and i was I, i will read out another quote because i think it's nice to to move on to our next subject um i was listening to a talk the other day by a professor dr naji al ali and she said something that really spoke to me she says personally i associate my political practices as a feminist with the struggle against racism imperialism economic exploitation and heteronormativity and the attempt to find non-hierarchical and non-violent base of resisting these various forms of intersecting hierarchies and inequalities what has been called transnational feminist politics and practice and i'm mentioning this here because feminism is so much more than what is represented in the mainstream media it is really about social justice it's not just about having a woman as a ceo in some capitalist organization that is exploiting its workers in bangladesh um it's not about uh 
okay, it's just about women and uh, we hate men and I don't know what uh, is being out is being said out there and, and through that demonized. It is highly political and its overall goal is really about social justice and it's a movement that is fighting against systems and injustices. And you, Heima, when I met you and we had our first conversation, you you were using the word revolutionary a lot. You were saying, I'm an activist, I'm a revolutionary, I'm a human rights defender, I'm a feminist. And you already talked a little bit about it uh, right now when I asked you other questions, but you are a part of the Syrian revolution. You were in Syria when the revolution started. You were there fighting, um, being in the street, risking your life. You had to leave the country because actually your life was at risk. You, you're not in Syria anymore. And this was inextricably linked, like your activism was linked to your feminist, to your feminism. So tell us about your feminist resistance in the context of the Syrian revolution. It's, it's always difficult and emotional for me talking about the revolution, uh, especially now, like after a decade. And uh, while, while actually the regime is still there with the with a lot of smaller regimes in different parts of Syria. And the dictatorship just became more dictatorships. So yeah, it's very, it's very difficult for me talking about the, you know, the early days of the revolution um, right now, especially I'm not in Syria and I'm not able to go there or visit my city. I can't, I also like when, when I said um, that I can't identify myself without the feminism part in me or the feminist part of me. I also can't like now remember how I was or who I was before the Syrian revolution. I mean, I only remember that I was a total different person. Um, an engineer working with a lab coat and talking about genetic engineering and genes and viruses and, and these kind of things, thinking and dreaming about traveling to Germany, actually, to complete yes. my studies. You had a scholarship. Yeah. So I, no, I, it's only like admission uh, to, to one of the universities, but I was working on my scholarship. But then everything changed and I decided like, no, I need to be in the country, like in Syria, uh, while I still can. So I remember that we were a group of young people, um, university students, Most of us were like either graduating that year or will graduate in a few months. And we were women and men, but I, I remember like my, my friends, like the, the women that I had at that point, the women that were around me and how we used to, to think uh, about the activities we want to do, about uh, how the protest could be better, what, to, what banners we should hold in the protest and um, what what we need to chant and what not to chant. And um, these kind of discussions, not non-ending discussions. And it for me, it was an eye-opening moment about a lot of things. I, I recognize my privileges, as I said before. So I came from a family um, with like um, a, a pro-regime or, or like from the privileged families in Syria at that time. And there, like, it wasn't talked in the house about the injustice that happening to other Syrians. I mean, 
if I'm not going online and reading or just like smuggling books in the house, I wouldn't know about the, the political prisoners, for example, in Syria or about the injustices happening there. So I was learning about the country more and more, and I was also belonging to the country more and more because I didn't, I can't remember that at any point I felt that I belong here to this country or I want to stay and live in this country um, until the revolution. So my dream and the dreams of many other colleagues and friends were just like, we need to graduate and then travel somewhere and then live the life that we want. We never built our futures in Syria. I mean, not even in our minds or dreams. Only until the revolution started where we thought like, yes, we can change this country into being the country that we're dreaming about. And yes, we can change our lives while we are in this country. And um, it was it was filled of hope. I I remember like the courage and the hope that we had at these days. And it was incredible. I can't um, and I can't now not like not be a part of this because it was the best thing that happened to me while in Syria. So it's maybe the only thread linking me to this country. I don't, like now I don't have friends if they are not a part of this revolution. I mean, my friends, my circles, it, it always linked and it always, it, it won't happen if the revolution didn't happen. Um, so for the, the feminist resistance, I think, even if not every one of these like women identify themselves as feminists, but the work that was being done and uh, the actions that were taken by them, it's like it's feminist. I mean, they were on the front lines in the protests, in the um, in the clinics, in the hospitals, filled hospitals that were starting. We were smuggling, I don't know, money um, to, to this, for the schools, uh, toys for the children, medicine and, and drugs for the hospitals. I mean, they were doing everything. They were side by side um, with, the, with the fellow men, I would say. And I only felt that we were pushed back after, like, after it was starting to be armed groups and militarized. Uh, and, and it started because it's not safe for you anymore to be in the streets because of the, the kidnapping and the killing and the snipers and all of these things. But I mean, until maybe 2013, it was still our, our place. And I still remember when I was going to... to um, from my neighborhood to the neighborhoods under the opposition uh, control or um, the, that were called like the, the Free Syrian Army, I was welcomed by the people and even like some members of this, um, uh, the Free Army in these places because I'm the activist. I mean, I'm the one who's, uh, who's active, who's writing about this, who's participating in the revolution. So they were saying to us, like, yeah, now the activists came, so let's talk to them, let's prepare with them, let's plan with them. And, for example, I remember 
like all the doors were open for me. Like even I was different. I wasn't, I wasn't like the, 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 the typical woman that they would sit with and, and argue with and talk to. But it was these years we were all like, we are Syrians and we are all uh, with the revolution. So we all want to change. So let's talk to each other. And I only remember when ISIS started to present in Aleppo, it, it's the first time that I, I started to sense um, danger. I, I remember these days as like the best days of my life. And then like everything started to, to fall apart. However, women didn't like just um, went back silently. I mean, like I know a lot of women who started like writing about this, challenging these ideas, challenging being uh, kept behind or in the house or, or not being able to be in certain cities or part of the city. And they started working on, on different things. Like they never stopped working. I mean, not a single woman stopped working and said, no, this is not my place. They start finding other spaces where they can still be active and still be participating and still be doing whatever they are uh, able to do. I don't know how, how to end this, but it's, it's a very um, complex, I mean, even for myself, even when I try to, to remember certain parts um, or to remember what we were like doing there and, and how, how and where from we get this courage to do this. It's not like maybe, maybe I did the least. I mean, but there are others. It's not only me. I mean, they were risking their lives every single day without think, thinking of the con consequences. We were only thinking of the dream, the hope, the country that we want. And you still do, Haima. You still do, because maybe it's also good to share with the audience. You are maybe not in Syria anymore, but you're still involved in the revolution, in the struggle. You're still fighting for a better Syria. And I think I always have to remember this, this quote by Angela Davis, where she says, um, um, I will not quote it 100%, but where she says, we have to constantly imagine and fight for a world that isn't there, you know. And when I met you all, you are doing this. And you are so connected with each other and you are in solidarity with each other and maybe you're different and your lives were different and probably you, you would not have met if the revolution hadn't happened. But now you're connected and you don't despair because I think it's such a... It's such a courageous thing to do, to imagine a future that isn't there. And as you said at the beginning, it looks so grim right now. It has been 10 years and the regime is still there. And now we have all these different groups and the war and the fighting. But you are still doing all this work. And I have so much respect for all of you. I mean, I've said it many times. And, and you're still doing it. You're still doing it. Like you, your work is this. You, you sacrifice so much in your life. Um, you could have been an engineer, like I told you many times before, but you decided to 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 not be an an, an engineer and and do what you're doing. And maybe it's nice to share with the audience, um, actually, just a little piece of, of of the work that you're doing right now, because now you're working actually in the media sector. Yeah, thank you. Um, I just want to to mention here that for me, it's not it's like quitting is not an option. I mean, I can't. It's it's not, it's not an option. And I feel maybe it's 
wrong. And my therapist always telling me that this is wrong. You can't like, like bear all this burden on your shoulders and think that it's only you. Maybe other people will continue their road. If you're tired, you need to rest. However, I can't rest when I sense that I'm, I'm far away or I'm disconnected or, or, or I'm not attached anymore to the people on the ground. Because, and again, because I recognize how privileged I am, I'm living in a safe um, place. I have a passport. I can speak uh, English, for example. So I, I, I have a job. I have a salary. So I, I, I can feed myself and, and I can afford the life that I'm living right now. And even though it wasn't my choice to leave the country, but I need to recognize that now I'm in a place that is in a better situation than, than a lot of friends and colleagues and, and like fellow Syrians who are still living inside Syria. So if they are still fighting for the life that we all dreamt about together, so it's not my right to quit and just like say, no, I can't do this anymore. And for what I'm doing right now, so I'm working with the Syrian, um, uh, feminine, uh, Syrian female journalist network. <laughs> so I'm working with them as the Women, Peace and Security program coordinator. And in this program, we, we train and I transfer knowledge and tools to journalists women and men journalists in Syria or in the neighboring countries uh, about the gender sensitive and conflict sensitive journalism, about the, the women, peace and security agenda, about 1325 resolution. And we try to give them tools or alternative ways into producing a balanced and gendered uh, media content. And, um, I also like uh, work with another organization as the advocacy and outreach manager. So because the work of SFJN is not like very um, attached to the ground or, or to the moment. So it's working on the longer term. However, and because I can't stop working with the ground. So I'm working with another organization uh, that's trying to build a better governance system uh, and to support and empower the local communities uh, inside Syria. So uh, the organization works with the local councils and with uh, some um, grassroots uh, civil society initiatives inside Syria. Um, and I'm trying to volunteer whenever I can um, for, for, like, for campaigns and um, uh, advocacy campaigns and um, some kind of like activities online, I would say, because it's not also an option right now with the COVID and everything to, to organize. I mean, physical meeting and lobby and high level meetings and this kind of stuff. I really appreciate it, Hema, that you shared these things with us um, <laughs> because yes, it's, it's a difficult topic. And I remember when we first talked and that really stayed with me, you said, I, and you said it now again, you said, I started really belonging to Syria after the revolution. I remember this this well, this statement of yours. And, and you said, um, 
a revolution only happens once and I have to be part of this. And this also stayed with me. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for sharing um, these things with us. And um, yes, now we have to make a switch. Yeah. <laughs> After talking about, yeah, but I think it's important and that, that people hear these, these things and these stories. It is important. And you mentioned earlier that you like reading. Yeah. Is there anything that you want to share with us? Any book or any poem? Um, it's really difficult to mention one book, but I wanted to, um, to mention a book that actually was the first book uh, assigned to me in the summer school before my master's uh, started. And it is Bananas, Beaches and Bases. Uh, it's um, mocking, making a feminist sense of international politics. And maybe it was the first book that I read in English and it's linked to the political um, and, and the, the, politi the, the politics and international uh, uh, political sphere and the economic and everything that wasn't my 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 studies uh, in, in in my bachelor degree so it was different and it was um also something new for me to to read these stories from the very different countries and contexts and understand how it is political whatever the story is it is political so the personal is political and it's also international And it's also affecting, or it's also like underlies under like many different um, international relations and how the world um, works. So yeah, it, it was it was a different book for me. I'd say it's not like a favorite, but I like I read more in Arabic. Um, so I love. Uh, The, the books written by Diaz Khouri, for example. I love Mahmoud Derwish. Um, and I would uh, yeah, also mention, um, it's, it's a book and a research. Uh, it's called uh, Even the Finest Warriors. And it also like, talks about them, um, the mental health and the well-being of um, feminist and women activists. Um, For songs, I, I, I love to sing. <laughs> This is first. So I love also a lot of songs. There is no favorite song for me. But whenever I'm down and I want something to lift my spirit up, and I, I, I love the fight song. So it is called the fight song. And also another song, um, it's Arabic song. To um, the Syrian singer Asala, it's called like um, I don't know how to do it in English, but it's called "I'm Stubborn," and so it's like "Shakhsiya um, Anida." Yeah, this is this. These are a lot. Thank you. <laughs> <I'll stop here. laughs> That's nice. Thank you. Hey, Ma, who has been your soul? Who inspired you? <sighs> Many, many Syrian women and many of them, like, maybe I would mention like the very first feminist or, or, or 
identified feminists for myself. I mean, Nazik Al-Abid, for example, one of the prominent Syrian women who led women movement during the French occupation, and she was fighting for the political rights of women in Syria. I would mention, of course, um, like the Syrian women who were involved in the Syrian revolution. So a lot of them, I don't want to like mention names and forget others, but they are like, oh, like the Marcel Shehwaro, for example, she was my manager at some point. She was the executive manager of the organization that I worked uh, with um, also when I first moved to Turkey. Wafa Mustafa, she's also a Syrian, young Syrian activist. She's always talking and demanding the freedom of her father and all the political detainees in Syria. Um, she, like Wafa gives me a lot of hope and inspiration. I can't imagine how strong this woman is. I mean, yeah, I just like, yeah, I can't, I can't express how much I love Wafa and I love the thing that she's doing. Wa'd um, al-Khatib, who's also like a filmmaker who made a documentary about the um, field hospitals in Aleppo uh, that called for summer. So yeah, a lot, all, all these women who like our path is crossed or even like we only met uh, in the ideas and um, had the same dream. They all like, Every single story inspired me in a different way. Yes. And to whom do you want to pass the salt? And what do you want to say? To the younger, younger generation of Syrian women. To the teenagers and the young women in, still in Syria, um, in the north, uh, fighting a different battle every day and trying to make sense of the nonsense that is happening there, trying to, to, to be there for, for the others, even that sometimes there is no one for them. Um, to my sister, of course, uh, because <laughs> I always say that I fought the battles for her and then it was like the path was easier for her to take. But also, like, like now, I... I'm trying to always do my best into helping, supporting, encouraging these women. Sometimes I fail, maybe. Sometimes um, uh, I'm struggling with, with my own problems, with my mental health. Sometimes I'm tired and maybe I can't do a meeting or a chit chat, but I'm always, I'm always there for them. Uh, even if uh, I'm not very active. <laughs> and uh, I want to tell them that, of course, nothing is going to be easy. It, it wasn't and it, it won't be. But, but I know for sure that the future is going to be better with everything that they are doing uh, on a daily basis. I mean, I'm not, I'm not this like, you know... Uh, very optimistic person, but with everything that they are doing right now on every front line, I'm a hundred percent sure that the future, even if it's not very close to us, maybe far future, but we will have better days and the future is going to be 
better because of them and because of the fights that they are taking. That's beautiful. And Hema, do you have a question for me? Hmm. Yeah, I was actually because I I talked a lot about like my favorite books, poems, and uh, I don't know songs. So I wanted actually to ask you what is your favorite book. And I always because I always love to read, so it's always good to know about um, good books. Okay, I think I have a lot, um, <laughs> awesome. and I didn't, of course, know that you would ask me this question. Um, you know, when you get this question, what's your favorite song? You're like, oh my God, I knew it yesterday. Now I don't know anymore. Maybe I will just mention a few, just the titles. And then if people think, oh, that sounds interesting, they can Google it. Um, I mean, one of my favorite books, obviously, is Sara Ahmed, Living a Feminist Life. We quoted it a lot today and I've quoted it also in other episodes. I have another favorite book, uh, Purple Hibiscus from Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. And I have another book that is called The 40 Rules of Love and Three Daughters of Eve by Elif Shafak. Yeah, I was going to mention actually Black Milk, I think, of Elif Shafak. Yeah, it's also, it's also very, very good book. Yes. Yeah. Beloved and The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. Very sad books. Yeah, these are some of the books that uh, I find really, really, yeah beautiful or they, they meant something to me oh maybe also salt since my podcast is sold by naira Waid. it's a book with poems um also very beautiful yes these are some of my favorite books nice thanks for sharing <laughs> thank you for asking yes we are almost at the end of our episode and uh, i always honor a woman at the end of my podcast today i want to honor many women i want to honor you all all the Syrian women at uh, SFJN where you work, the women who have been killed because they fought for the revolution, the ones who are missing, detained, all of you that you're still fighting, sacrificing yourselves for a better future of Syria, for radical justice, believing in a better future. And I want to finish with a quote by Razan Zaituna. We talked about her before. You also told me that she has actually also been someone who inspired you. A lawyer, a feminist, a human rights activist and director of the Violations Documentation Center in Syria, who disappeared after she was abducted in 2013 together with her husband, Wael Hamada, with her colleagues Samira Al-Khalil and Nazem Hamadi, and they were abducted from their office in a rebel-held suburb in Damascus. And until today, their fate is actually unknown. And I want to read one of her quotes, yet no one forgets these moments of hope, how they turned everyone from tired old creatures into winged beings celebrating the joy and life to come. And I want us to finish with this positive note, which probably captures the, the feeling of the revolution, what you described to me earlier, and what I also heard from your colleagues, this hope, the love, the solidarity that was in the air. So I want to finish like this. And I want to thank you, Hema, very, very much for talking to us today, for sharing all these things with us. And uh, of course, I will upload your information on, on Instagram and my website. And I want to thank you, everyone, for listening. And if you've been enjoying Salt, please leave me a rating on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoyed today's episode, share it on social media, because it helps to make a difference to hear stories like the one from Hema. Thank you so much, Hema.
Thank you. Thank you, Stella. Thanks for, for having me. And um, I just want to add something here towards the end that now, as many of us are not anymore in Syria, it's, it's now a battle of discourses and we want our stories to be heard. We want our discourse to be there and we want, um, we want rest like seeing the, the regime and the Russians and the Iranians, the lies of him trying to change the story of what happened in Syria. So this is why it's important maybe not only for me, but also to many other Syrian women and men who are still trying to document the stories and tell their, their stories and talking about what happened in Syria and what is still happening there in order to have a history written by our pens, by our voices, not by others. So thanks a lot, Stella. Yes. Thank you, Haima. Thank you. Something that is loved is never lost. I'm Stella Salieri, and this is Solve the Podcast. Solve the Podcast. Solve the Podcast.